Hey, it's Nathan, and this is day 62 of the Bible in 90 Days. We're in Ezekiel chapters 13 through 23. Chapter 13 is a declaration against false prophets. Say to those who prophesy out of their own imagination, Hear the word of the Lord. This is what the Sovereign Lord says. Woe to the foolish prophets who follow their own spirit and have seen nothing. Ezekiel's rebuke is similar to those Jeremiah uttered against the false prophets back in Jerusalem. The false prophets' messages are compared to covering a flimsy wall with whitewash, but the rain was coming which would destroy the flimsy wall. When it falls, you will be destroyed in it, and you will know that I am the Lord. I will say to you, the wall is gone, and so are those who whitewashed it. Those prophets of Israel who prophesied to Jerusalem and saw visions of peace for her when there was no peace, declares the Sovereign Lord. By lying to my people who listen to lies, you have killed those who should not have died and have spared those who should not live. Chapter 14 begins with a condemnation against idolaters. Son of man, these men have set up idols in their hearts and put wicked stumbling blocks before their faces. Should I let them inquire of me at all? Ezekiel was then told to urge them, Repent, turn from your idols, and renounce all your detestable practices. God promises to remove the idolaters from among his people, declaring that the false prophets will bear their own guilt. Then the people of Israel will no longer stray from me. What follows, follows the basic theme captured in these verses. Son of man, if a country sins against me by being unfaithful and I stretch out my hand against it to cut off its food supply and send famine upon it and kill its people and their animals, even if these three men, Noah, Daniel, and Job, were in it, they could save only themselves by their righteousness, declares the Sovereign Lord. Thankfully, the end of the chapter includes this bit of hope. Yet, there will be some survivors, sons and daughters, who will be brought out of it. They will come to you, and when you see their conduct and their actions, you will be consoled regarding the disaster I have brought on Jerusalem. Chapter 15 likens Jerusalem to a useless vine. Speaking of Israel, God said, As I have given the wood of the vine among the trees of the forest as fuel for the fire, so will I treat the people living in Jerusalem. Chapter 16, by the way, a chapter you should definitely read, finds Jerusalem compared to an adulterous wife. The chapter begins, however, speaking of Israel's early days. On the day you were born, no one looked on you with pity or had compassion. Rather, you were thrown out into the open field. For on the day you were born, you were despised. When God passed by, however, he saw Israel lying in blood and said, Live! I made you grow like a plant of the field. So Israel matured into a beautiful young lady. And when I looked at you and saw that you were old enough for love, I spread the corner of my garment over you and covered your naked body. I gave you my solemn oath and entered into a covenant with you, declares the Sovereign Lord, and you became mine. God then tenderly cared for Israel, bathing, dressing, and adorning her. 
She was fed with the finest food and her fame spread to the nations. But you trusted in your beauty and used your fame to become a prostitute. You lavished your favors on anyone who passed by and your beauty became his. Israel was giving away all her lavish gifts to many lovers, even sacrificing her children to pagan idols. As a result of her promiscuous idolatry, God had allowed the neighboring enemies to attack. I am filled with fury against you, declares the sovereign Lord. You adulterous wife, you prefer strangers to your own husband. In response, God declared, I will deliver you into the hands of your lovers, and they will tear down your mounds and destroy your lofty shrines. They will strip you of your clothes and take your fine jewelry and leave you stark naked. They will bring a mob against you who will stone you and hack you to pieces with their swords. The chapter accuses Judah of following the example of Israel and soon becoming more depraved than they, even more so than Sodom. Further, Judah's neighbors despised them for their depraved behavior. They had become a disgrace to human civilization itself. And yet, the chapter ends with hope. I will remember the covenant I made with you in the days of your youth, and I will establish an everlasting covenant with you. This even included restoring Sodom and Samaria, Judah's sisters. God himself would make atonement, and his people would never boast again because of their humiliation they were to suffer. Chapter 17 contains an allegory. A magnificent eagle broke off a cedar shoot and planted it in a city of traders, where it became a vine. Then the question is asked, will it thrive? Will it not be uprooted and stripped of its fruit so that it withers? This allegory represented recent events that had taken place. The king of Babylon had come, taken captives, and installed a new king in Jerusalem under oath. Then that king and his people had rebelled against Babylon. This king would suffer the repercussions of his actions. And yet again, the chapter ends with hope. I myself will take a shoot from the very top of a cedar and plant it. I will break off a tender spring from its topmost shoots and plant it on a high and lofty mountain. This shoot would grow strong, becoming a splendid cedar and provide shelter for every kind of bird. It would also stand in the forest as a testimony to what God can do. Chapter 18, another chapter you should read, is a response to a common proverb. One found several places in the Bible. The parents eat sour grapes, and the children's teeth are set on edge. God then proceeds to inform Ezekiel that everyone belongs to me, the parent as well as the child, both alike belong to me. The one who sins is the one who will die. This is then followed with a detailed explanation of how the individual is held accountable for their own actions, whether good or evil. God intends to make it clear that his people are not suffering on account of a previous generation's evil, but on account of their own. The one who sins is the one who will die. The child will not share the guilt of the parent, nor will the parent share the guilt of the child. 
The righteousness of the righteous will be credited to them, and the wickedness of the wicked will be charged against them. The chapter further explains that one's past does not determine their future. That is, a once righteous person who turns to evil is not exempted from the consequences of that evil by their past righteousness. And an evil person who later turns to good will not die on account of their past evil. Therefore, you Israelites, I will judge each of you according to your own ways, declares the Sovereign Lord. Repent, turn away from all your offenses, then sin will not be your downfall. Chapter 19 is a lament over Israel's princes, likening Israel to a lion and then a vine. What a lioness was your mother among the lions. She lay down among them and reared her cubs. She brought up one of her cubs, and he became a strong lion. Unfortunately, this cub ended by being led off to Egypt. A second cub is raised up and made a strong lion. But this cub, too, was put in prison, so his roar was heard no longer on the mountains of Israel. Then God's people are compared to a vine, planted, watered abundantly, so it became full of fruit and branches. It, however, was uprooted in fury and thrown down to the ground. The east wind made it shrivel. It was stripped of its fruit. Its strong branches withered and fire consumed them. No strong branch is left on it, fit for a ruler's scepter. Chapter 20 finds the elders of Israel coming to inquire of Ezekiel. The prophet is told to confront them with the detestable practices of their ancestors. The elders are reminded of how God had raised Israel up and brought them to a rich land, instructing them to abandon the idols of Egypt. What follows is how God struggled to rid Israel of their idols and how they stubbornly refused rebelling against him. They did not follow my decrees, but rejected my laws, by which the person who obeys them will live. And they utterly desecrated my Sabbaths. So I said I would pour out my wrath on them and destroy them in the wilderness. Yet God did not, out of pity and for the sake of his name. God continued to recount their rebellious history how they continued worshiping idols in the land they settled. As a result, God would now refuse to hear the inquiry of these elders and would instead reign over you with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm and with outpoured wrath. And yet, after being disciplined, Israel would be restored. I will accept you as fragrant incense when I bring you out from the nations and gather you from the countries where you have been scattered. And I will be proved holy through you in the sight of the nations. The final note of the chapter is a prophecy against the south of a blazing flame that would not be quenched, burning from south to north. Chapter 21 is a prophecy regarding the approaching Babylonian campaign against Jerusalem, depicting them as a sword of vengeance. Son of man, set your face against Jerusalem and preach against the sanctuary. God was about to unsheathe his sword, a reference to the coming Babylonians. 
The news of Babylon's approach would make every heart with will melt with fear and every hand go limp. Every spirit will become faint and every leg will be wet with urine. It is coming. It is noted in the chapter that the king of Babylon would stop at a fork in the road, one leading to Jerusalem and the other to Rabbah. At this fork, he would consult his idols, cast lots, etc., to determine which way to go, and the lot would fall to Jerusalem. Take off the turban, remove the crown. It will not be as it was. The lowly will be exalted, and the exalted will be brought low. A ruin, a ruin, I will make it a ruin. The crown will not be restored until he to whom it rightfully belongs shall come. To him I will give it. Chapter 22, another chapter you should read, is an indictment of Jerusalem. You city that brings on herself doom by shedding blood in her midst and defiles herself by making idols, you have become guilty because of the blood you have shed and have become defiled by the idols you have made. You have brought your days to a close and the end of your years has come. Therefore, I will make you an object of scorn to the nations and a laughing stock to all the countries. Then follows a litany of vile acts committed by God's people. And because of these, disaster is coming. God refers to the people as dross, the leftovers of metal refining, which he was about to melt in his wrath. Then God likens the leaders in Israel to savage animals, tearing their prey, while their false prophets whitewashed them. As in Jeremiah, God looked for someone who would stand up to the rampant injustice, but no one was found. Chapter 23 talks about two adulterous sisters, a symbolic reference to the kingdom of Israel, here referred to as Ahola, and the kingdom of Judah, here referred to as Aholabah. This chapter uses lust and prostitution to depict the two kingdoms and their unfaithfulness to God, a comparison we've seen earlier in Ezekiel. Both daughters are depicted as lusting after the Assyrians, and the youngest as also lusting after the Chaldeans, i.e. the Babylonians. The younger sister, Aholubah, became more and more promiscuous as she recalled the days of her youth when she was a prostitute in Egypt. This is what the Sovereign Lord says, I will stir up your lovers against you, those you turned away from in disgust, and I will bring them against you from every side. I will turn you over to them for punishment, and they will punish you according to their standards. Since you have forgotten me and turned your back on me, you must bear the consequences of your lewdness and prostitution. And that's all for today.